risen and receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 24, beginning with the 36th verse. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they do nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. I invite you now together with all of us who form this gathered body as we pray together. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. Reveal your way to us, because or in spite of me today. In the power of Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. I have a wonderful memory of a place of wonder and delight. It's a place where there are life-size figures of children that spin, surrounded by a kind of forest of candy canes. There's music that fills the air, music of the Christmas season, and the air at that time of year was always crisp, and it always felt clean. We would go, my mother and siblings and I, usually in early December, every year. What is it that drew us to this wondrous place? Well, it was Santa's cottage, of course. And it was uh, appearing like the angels, behold, it shall appear in late November <laughs> in Utica Square, an upscale shopping complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we would make our pilgrimage. And when I look back on the photos of these annual pilgrimages, I'm reminded that wonder and delight were not experienced by all of us equally, <laughs> at least not consistently. There are classic shots that capture experiences among my siblings and I that can only be described as fear and distress. Over the years, friends have shared their photos and relayed their touching and often hilarious stories of either hopeful or fearful anticipation of their visit to Santa each year. 
On this first Sunday of Advent, both of our texts for the day begin with a sense of anticipation for the days to come. Isaiah 2 casts a vision for a future when God's wisdom and way will guide all nations and they shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The words from Matthew speak of watchfulness, of remaining alert and awake so that we might not miss the visitation of the Son of Man. Now, both of these texts may fail to inspire in many of us hopeful anticipation. After all, in these days where gun violence and war surround us on every side, can we really believe that Isaiah's prophecy of a world without weapons and war is possible? And there is so much crusty, fear-laced interpretation attached to the words of Matthew about one being taken and the other left, that it is difficult to receive anything hopeful from them. And yet, Advent is all about hopeful anticipation. Anticipation of the birth of Jesus, of Emmanuel, God with us, the one who shows us in flesh how to live and to love according to God's way. This Jesus, we believe, draws near to us as revelation and affirmation of all God's promises. The promise of peace, the promise of love, the promise of liberation, of community and purpose and power and justice and joy. We hope, not only because Jesus came once upon a time into a manger, but because the promise is that Christ comes again and again into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit and that there will come a time when the world will be so full of Christ that God's promises will be manifest in all creation. But we, like those who first received the words that we heard this morning, we live in the in-between time the time between the first revelation of God in Jesus and the consummation of all God's promises through Christ. And the in-between time is perilous. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says this, quote, For God to come near us is for God to risk God's own integrity, in the sense that God puts God's self into our hands to be appallingly misunderstood. The wonderful gift of Jesus, 
becomes the justifier of our hatred and our fears, our madness, revelation itself, as church's history shows, is bound up with tragic possibilities. End quote. In this in-between time, Jesus gets hijacked again and again, his life perverted into a kind of rationale for all sorts of things which have nothing to do with him or with the kingdom that he came to proclaim. Our call in this in-between time is to try not to appallingly misunderstand the gift of Jesus. Our text from Matthew and others like it have, I fear, been misunderstood and in ways that have done harm. Many of you will remember the Left Behind series of novels, popular over 20 years ago, and many of them, some of them, uh, adapted for the big screen. These stories offer a well-worn understanding of a God as one to be feared, that when Christ returns, some will be taken up with Christ into blissful heaven and others will be left behind to terrible suffering. It is a theology of punishment and hence fear. This strain of theology is present throughout the Bible. It's not the only strain, but it is there. Throughout the Bible, this idea of God as an angry, punishing God, it's there because humans throughout time have tried to grapple with how it all works, and that's one of the ways that they think might be the way. Jesus came to show us something else, but it's there in the text. And so it shouldn't surprise us that there are passages in the Gospels that have been interpreted by some through that lens of an angry God. But it really isn't the only lens through which to read the text from Matthew. When I looked at some of the key words in the Greek-English lexicon, I found that The coming of the Son of Man, the coming is simply a word describing an arrival, a presence of one who draws near. It has a connotation in some places as the visitation by royalty. That's all it means, the coming. And the words taken and left both have relational nuances if you look at the varieties of ways that they might be interpreted. The Greek word for taken intimates that those taken are available and actively received and then brought close to the one who draws near. There's a sense of mutuality. And the verb left, aphiami, can mean sent away, but it also holds meanings of being left alone, simply being permitted. I find that interesting. Imagine that this might be talking about ways that God allows us to choose, that we are permitted to simply go on living our lives however we live them. 
I, as I look at this passage carefully, I do not see an emphasis on an angry God. It is not inherent in the text. Rather, I see a description of human choices that we can make when Christ draws near. Are we available? Are we paying attention and alert to the inbreaking of the Holy One's beckoning? Is our awareness attuned to God's wondrous presence, or do we prefer to stay focused elsewhere? The trials and tribulations that appear in the genre of apocalyptic writing, like our gospel passage today, are descriptions of human realities, not of God's activity. This is about what humans do that God comes into. Humans make choices to be forgetful, to turn away from God, to act with greed or violence or injustice. And our choices, our living and our choosing will have consequences. That's just how it works. It's not God doing something. That's us doing something or not. The activity of God in apocalyptic is to draw near and to extend saving grace to those who are being oppressed and who are suffering in the midst of strife and injustice. The Son of Man will draw near in those places. And this is the same one who is born as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace in Bethlehem, the one we know as Jesus of Nazareth, the very same one who in last week's text forgave his executioners and welcomed a criminal into the kingdom of God. This is the one who doesn't even let one sheep get lost. That's the one we're expecting. That's the one who is coming again and again into the world. In earlier times, when apocalyptic writing was commonplace, it was received as good news, as hope in time of trial, not as doom and gloom as it is so often interpreted today. The good news they knew is that the God of the past, the God who has chosen and oppressed suffering people Israel and led them out of slavery, the God who has provided for the people in the wilderness, the God who has come to the world in the flesh in Jesus of Nazareth to love and to save all creation, this God of the past will be the God of the future. The same God and will continue to act in the world in the midst of all the worst suffering and violence, and shame, and injustice that humankind experiences. God will come into the world again and again to love and to save. Though it is difficult to scrape off the years of fear and violence and spiritual terrorism, that have been overlaid onto passages such as the one that we read today from Matthew, it is this joyful hope in the coming of a good and loving and saving God that these writings actually sought to give voice. The basic, the basic theme 
of the passage in Matthew is to keep alert. (laughs) It's to watch and to pray and to persevere during this in-between time, living according to the ways of Jesus. That's, That's what it's about. And the ways of Jesus are to live in hope, to live the promises of God, to embody the kingdom on earth as fully as we can, and to expect Christ to appear at any moment. And I'm not talking necessarily about this thing that we always talk about, this big end of the world thing. I'm talking about the coming of Christ again and again. Expect Christ to appear at any moment, not as a gotcha boogeyman or a scary Santa, (laughs) but as a shining presence in the faces of others, in moments of beckoning wonder, in experiences of exquisite beauty, in moments of humble tenderness, in unexpected times when hope seems far off. Poet Sylvia Plath captures some of how this might be, responding in a poem to a black bird, a rook is the name of the bird, on a branch in the rain. And she says this. I now walk wary, for it could happen even in this dull, ruinous landscape. Yet I walk politic, ignorant of whatever angel may choose to flare suddenly at my elbow. I only know that a rook ordering its black feathers can so shine as to seize my senses, haul my eyelids up, and grant a brief respite from fear of total neutrality. With luck, trekking stubborn through the season of fatigue, I shall patch together a content of sort. Miracles occur. If you dare to call those spasmodic tricks of radiance miracles, the wait's begun again, the long wait for the angel, that rare, random descent. So my invitation, the invitation, is to walk wary, but politic, that is alert and ready to be taken up in wonder by the inbreaking of Christ's presence. This is the encouragement of this Advent season. It's our annual refresher course for what we are to do all year long. By God's grace, may it be so.